Our passage this morning is Psalm 96, uh, the entire chapter actually, and I'll read the whole thing, 13 verses. Uh, And I pray that, that God will give us each ears to hear His voice in this passage. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise His name. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and glory are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him, all the earth. Say among the nations, The Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord, for He comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His truth. And we're grateful to have God's Word. You may be seated. Please join me in prayer for God's help as we launch and study His Word together. Father, we have a simple prayer right now. Uh, help us to understand and absorb your word. Help us to hear your voice through this passage of scripture. Uh, help me to facilitate that and not get in the way of it, not distract from the simple, clear message of your word, not to distort it in any way, and absolutely not to teach anything contrary to your word. Lord, we trust you for all these things. And it's in your Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here we are in Psalm 96. Now you may or may not be aware that music within the church can tend to be a contentious issue. I'm not talking about Doolin's Grove, I'm just talking about the church in general. Um, There are people who want to sing old stuff. There are people who want to sing new stuff. There's all kinds of reasons for it. Often it can cause a debate. Now, relax, because I'm not here to get into the debate. I don't think that there is a debate to be had. Um, I'm here to try to explain this passage of Scripture. But here we see in verse 1, Sing to the Lord a new song. Now, what are we to make of this exhortation from the psalmist? Sing to the Lord a new song. Does that mean that we should pack up our hymnals and set them to the side and blast up a PowerPoint? On the wall of new song. Is that what it's talking about? Um, I'm not going to tell you. Sorry. You'll have to listen. Uh, maybe toward the end of the sermon. We'll get to that. You'll have to listen to the whole thing. First, I want to wade out into this passage a little bit deeper. These lights are working hard this morning, aren't they? Y'all hear that? Working harder than 
I want to wade out a little deeper into this, this passage. It says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise His name. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous deeds among all peoples. And we're going to stop right there for right now. What I want us to see from this passage are three activities that are connected with the singing that we do on Sunday mornings. There's much, much more that could be said in this regard. We're just going to pretty much be heavy on these first couple of verses because we only have so much time this morning. But I want us to look at these three activities connected with the singing that we do on Sunday mornings. You might even say that these activities are done through the singing that we do on Sunday mornings. Okay? So we're just going to hit them real quick, and then we're going to talk about them. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise His name. Praise His name. I suspect many of us have heard this word praise many times before, especially those who've grown up in church. You have praise bands. Uh, before Sunday school, we have children's praise and worship. Praise the Lord is a phrase that we're familiar with. Now, here in the Old Testament, this word praise is a translation of a word that carries with it the, the idea of kneeling. Like kneeling low, like a, a peasant would do meeting the king. He would kneel and kiss the signet ring. It's more than just saying certain things or raising your hands in a certain way. It's a kneeling of the heart. Okay? So that's activity number one, connected to our singing. Sing to the Lord. Praise His name. Proclaim His salvation day after day. To proclaim is more than just to say. It's more than just saying stuff. Proclaiming is a translation from an original word in the original language. It carries with it the idea of something that is so full, so freshly filled and stirred up with something, that it has to come out. I do not make tea. At least if I ever do, I do the microwave and not a teapot. So I might be totally wrong. But I think the way a teapot works, like that you put on your stove, is that I guess steam builds up in there or something. And as soon as it's full enough, it bursts out and makes that whistling noise. If I'm entirely wrong on that, just pretend that I'm right for the sake of this point. I do not know much about teapots. But that's kind of what this word is talking about. It's not just talking about, okay, God's people gather together and say stuff. It's talking about gather together and let all this that's in you, filling up in you, let it come out. That's what proclamation is. And that also is connected with our singing. So we're praising, we're proclaiming. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous deeds among all peoples. Okay, this is the third one that we're going to talk about. Declaring. Now, are declaring and proclaiming the same thing? They're not entirely synonymous, especially not in the original text. He wouldn't just put in two of the same meaning words back to back. Declaring has a unique meaning as well. It carries with it the idea of keeping score. I studied, I looked back, and that's what this word that we translate declare means. It's like to keep score with tallies. Um, I used to be a tennis player. I say used to. I still have my racket, but there's not that much time anymore to play tennis. But occasionally I would play on clay courts. I don't know if you're familiar with clay tennis courts. But 
On the clay courts, you can make marks in the surface of the court. Now, any tennis players in here? I'm all by myself. That's why I can't play tennis. There's nobody to play with. <laughs> Keeping score in tennis is not all that easy, especially if you're not used to it. Because it's not like 1-0, 2-0. It's love, 15, 30, 40, deuce, add in. It's just weird stuff. I don't know where it came from. So it's hard to remember the score sometimes. And then within that, you have to remember how many games within the set, how many sets within the match. So when, on clay courts, I've seen people often keep score by marking tallies in the, in the clay or in the composite, the little pebbles. That's kind of what this word's talking about. Basically, it's saying, it's keeping score for God. It's declaring God the winner, like in a boxing match when they raise the, the, the winner's hand. It's declaring that God is in control. God has done these things. God is all these things. And it's put in, in comparison to false gods that don't actually do anything. Okay? That's just a real quick overview of these three things. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things about this. Uh, first off, you get the picture that what we do here on Sunday mornings is much, much deeper <coughs> than the words that we say. It goes so much deeper than our lips and our vocal cords. We're praising. We're proclaiming. We're declaring. We're not just singing. Now why? He tells us why we're to do all these things. Verse, starting verse 4. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Now imagine many of you like me don't have a lot of mental pegs on which to hang ideas like this. Splendor and majesty and God's glory. Those words tend to sort of fall flat in our minds, don't they? For some of us, I just read that, this like amazing truth about God. Oh, praise God. The <laughs> I just read this amazing truth about God. And for many of us, I know, and you can admit to yourself, that it just kind of fell flat. Nothing was really stirred up in you. We have to be so careful that we don't become like Israel. Do you guys remember, I read a passage from Isaiah a few weeks back. And I'm going to read it again. It's very easy for us to become immune to the effect of God. We're in the danger zone more than anywhere in here as we see these things and as we do these things because we're in danger of just getting numb to it. I want to read to you again what God had to say to Israel when they had done so, when they had become numb. This will sound familiar because I just read it the other Sunday. He says, The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? Says the Lord. I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my corpse? Stop bringing me meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts, my soul hates they have become a burden to me. 
I am weary of bearing. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I'll hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. We do not want to worship God like that. Now let me ask you this, okay? We see how God felt about the Israel's worship. Do you think there was anybody in that assembly, that congregation, that woke up the morning before, they got on their robes and their cloaks and their sash, and they, they got up, and they probably didn't have a mirror, but they you know, made sure they were presentable, and they said, all right, I'm going to go infuriate the Lord this morning, and it's going to be great. Do you think they had any idea that they were doing that? Or do you think that they thought they were pretty much doing the right stuff? I'm pretty sure they thought they were pretty much doing the right stuff. Why else would God have to send Isaiah to have such a sharp, serious rebuke to them? We're in danger of becoming like that. And I do not want that to happen to us. I'll be held accountable one day for this congregation while I'm here. I I cannot let us drift to that. So, we're studying this passage this morning. And I think, I've been thinking about this, how to make this more understandable to myself, and hopefully to you as well. Now, I think that if we talk about icebergs, it's going to help us. So, we're going to talk about icebergs for a minute. I don't claim to know a lot about icebergs. Uh, somebody here may know a lot more than I do, and uh, you can correct me after about some of the things I'm about to say about icebergs. But did you know that an iceberg can be as large as 200,000 pounds? It can be larger than that. It's possible to have an iceberg that's larger than a 15-story building. And these things just float along in the ocean. And sometimes, ships crash into these things, and they sink. One particularly famous one, you may have heard of it, called the Titanic. Oh, it's Leonardo DiCaprio's ship. <laughs> How can a ship going through the ocean not see this gigantic mass of ice large enough to sink it if it runs into it? Well, as you probably know, the majority of an iceberg is below the surface. Seven-eighths of the average iceberg is below the surface, 80 to 90 percent. So it's possible to have two icebergs floating beside each other, one of which, let's say, weighs 1,000 pounds. Um, the size of like an SUV or something. The other weighs like 75 pounds, the size of a small person. It's possible to the naked eye, depending on the shape of these icebergs, depending on how hazy it is, if it's day or night, it's possible for someone on the boat to see these two and not know which one is larger. Because it's just a, a bit of it that peaks above the surface. The majority of it, the weight of it, the true essence of it is below the surface. You've heard the phrase, the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, that's where it comes from. Now, what does that have to do with singing and worship? What we do here on Sunday mornings is just the tip of the iceberg of our worship. It's just the most visible part of our worship. What we do with our voice when we're singing these songs, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Now plunge beneath the surface and you have your heart. What's going on in your heart? Plunge beneath the surface of your week and you have how you've worshipped through the week. The Israelites 
had their tips of the icebergs pretty well established. And they had neglected what plunges beneath the surface. They didn't even realize their hearts just were not even in it. Our hearts are what buoy up and form the foundation for our worship here on Sunday mornings. I hope you're following me with this. We can sing songs. It's easy to come in here and sing a song. Anybody can come in here and sing a song. Now, coming in here and having a heart that kneels before a great and glorious God, that's not so easy to just come in here cold and do. That's something that happens through the week. Anybody can sing a song. But our singing is more than just a vibration of our vocal cords. It's more than just reciting some words in a hymnal. It's praise and it's proclamation. How can we come in here and be full of love and passion and fire for God's glory that must come out like a teapot in proclamation of God and His salvation? How can we come in here full and do that genuinely? Unless we've been all about it through the week. Real worship happens through the week. And we come in here for just the tip of it, just the most visible expression of it. Singing these songs is more than, than patting ourselves on the back for being Christians. It's keeping score so that the world will remember, that we will remember, that God is in control, that God is glorious, and that it's all about Him. If we don't know Him, So back to verse 1 here. Sing to the Lord a new song. That phrase happens a couple times in the Psalms. One of them is in Psalm 40. David writes that one. I'm going to read it to you. Just the first three verses of it anyway. David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. There's that phrase again, a new song. This time it came after David was in some kind of trouble. And he cries out to God and God finally hears him and saves him out of it. In the process, giving him a new song. The result of this new song is that many people see it and hear it and trust God. New songs come from hearts and lives lived for God through the week. David was given all kinds of new songs. He wrote almost all these, not almost all, a lot of the songs in here. These are songs. He was a man after God's own heart, always having experiences with God. When things are bad, he was crying out to God. When things were good, he was glorifying God. And he was just always welling up with new songs, new things to proclaim, new tallies to mark, declaring the glories of God in the world. Now, as for this whole question about new versus old and stylistic things, none of that matters, really. There are amazingly good and helpful songs in that hymn book that should not be forgotten, that should not be laid by the wayside. It's a record of God's work 
in the lives of the men and women who wrote these things. And it's deep and it's powerful and it's important. But let us not think that there are not new songs that are just as deep and powerful and important. To think so is to say that God stopped working 100 years ago. God is ever praiseworthy. His salvation is always powerful enough to, to boil up proclamation from his saints. He's always doing amazing, miraculous deeds that we need to declare for him. We can't just rely on the songs of old saints. Just like we can't look at songs that anybody writes and just live vicariously through their experience with God. I think some of you should be writing songs. We should have this vital, close walk with God. We should have a depth to our iceberg of worship that is deep and real. Lest we become like Israel in Isaiah chapter 1 that I just read. Now think about this thought. This is kind of a different train of thought here. Let me read the end of this psalm to you. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord. For He comes. He comes to judge the earth. All this about the earth and the seas and the trees singing. Now, they don't really sing. We can all agree about that. They don't have vocal cords. In some way, though, they are praising God just by being obedient. Now, stick with me here. This is kind of an abstract train of thought. Stick with me. In the beginning, there was nothing. How did God create everything? Out of the blackness, was it his hands that just came in and started doing stuff? No, in that black silence, it was a voice speaking everything into existence. And God said, let there be. And God said, let there be. And then he created all this stuff, and the climax of it was man and woman. They're set apart, different from creation in many ways, one of which is our ability to communicate with our words. That's one of the things that sets us apart. All through the Bible, we see the importance of what we say, how powerful it is. My point is, don't underestimate the importance of what comes out of your mouth when we're singing these songs. It's important what we say. And it's devastating to God when we say these things. And in our hearts we don't believe Him. We're just an ice cap floating on the ocean. It's as devastating as it would be for a man to say to his wife, I love you. But then never spend any time with her. Never give her the time of day. Love all these other women. Totally ignore her. But say with his lips, I love you. That's what we do when we come and we sing all this worshipful praise to God. And it's not in our hearts. That's what Israel did, and God hated it. Now, one more thing I want us to notice about these three activities that go along with our singing. Praising, declaring, proclaiming. Do you notice the direction of these things? They all go out from us. We are putting this out. Praise, proclamation, declaration. Now, I say that because... Anytime I hear comments about stylistic things involved with worship, almost inevitably, I hear, I just don't get anything out of it. 
I just don't get anything out of that. Well, maybe, based on this passage, it's not for us to get something out of it. What we do here in musical worship isn't so much for us to get something out of it. It's an outlet for what's building up in us all week with our relationship with God to let it out in joyful song. Now, I think this, this misunderstanding causes a lot of trouble. It's the idea that the tip of the iceberg can form the mass underneath, when in reality it's the mass underneath that's foundational for the tip on top. It's what's in your hearts that's foundational for genuine worship here on Sunday mornings. We can't make that happen if it's not happening in your hearts. This psalm was written by David. And it's not the first time it shows up. It's part of what I read to you in the beginning from 1 Chronicles 16. David had the Israelites bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, symbolizing God's presence. I want to read that chapter to you. And this is my closing. It says, They brought the Ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And they presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before God. After David had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings... He blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each Israelite man and woman. He appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord, to make petition, to give thanks, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph was the chief, Zechariah second, Jael, Shemiramoth, Jehiel, Mattathiah, Eliab, Benaiah, Obed, Edom, and Jael, they were to play the lyres and harps. Asaph was to sound the cymbals. And Benaiah and Jehaziel, the priests, were to blow the trumpets regularly before the Ark of the Covenant of God. Now that day, David first committed to Asaph and his associates this song of thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. O descendants of Israel, his servant. O sons of Jacob, his chosen one. He is the Lord, our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. The word he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. To you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion you will inherit. When we were but few in number, few indeed, and strangers in it, they wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. He allowed no man to oppress them. For the sake he rebuked the kings. Do not touch my anointed ones. Do not harm to my prophets. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. 
He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and joy in his dwelling place. That's the same psalm we just read. Now my point in reading this to you, and I'll say this in closing. David wrote his songs in response to things that happened in his life with God. His praise came from real life. His proclamation came from his life. His declaration came from his life. Now what I want as your pastor is not for us just to sing really good songs. It's to see you worship below the surface, in your hearts, and in your lives. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would make this portion of your scriptures come alive in our hearts. And I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would instruct us in these things. Go far beyond what I can do from up here. And may we be a congregation of people who are vehemently passionate about your glory and your salvation. Who are living our weeks focused on you. Who below the surface are deep and real. And may that inform and awaken our worship here on Sunday mornings. But Lord, I pray very earnestly that you protect us from the error of the Israelites in Isaiah. Lord, let us not stray into that territory. We want our worship to be genuine. We want our worship to be pleasing to you. Lord, please work in our hearts to make that so. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.